Thank you, Zach. Man, I love the new song, buddy. That is crazy good. Later today, uh, Lee's going to introduce another new song to us, and uh, I think you're going to totally love it. Uh, welcome home. Uh, I'm Chuck, and this is Bobby, and uh, we get to serve as pastors here in the life of Sugar Hill Church, and what a great place uh, this church is. It I, really is. We had, had such a busy week and such a great week, and I just want to thank you guys. Uh, what a great church you guys are. I'm so thrilled with what we do in the community and what you do. I just We're just blessed beyond measure. So today is the day of Commitment Sunday. And uh, for a couple of years, we've been praying over this day. Yep. And then over the past four or five weeks, we've invited you into this, uh, this Imagine Zero, Imagine More world of ours where uh, literally we're trying to say as a church, let us end the day of debt so that whatever is spent on interest and, and servicing alone, let's use that with the great numbers of families that are moving into our city and to serve them well. So we're, uh, we're aggressively looking to sell a piece of property behind us and that'll probably be a couple of million dollars. And then we've asked our church, would you consider and prayerfully consider making commitments today that would get us to raising two and a half million over three years? Yep. And so we'll walk through that That's... later on, but it has been great uh, at Thursday night to see our leaders come to this altar and make those commitments. And at the 930 where we saw, yep. I mean, it was like 100% of people that say, I wanna do what I can yep. because this campaign has never been about solely money. It's predominantly been about obedience. This thought of, we want you to know God because when you know God, you trust God. And when you trust God, you'll obey God. And the blessings of God come in that obedience. I was reminded of it uh, even yesterday. So across the street, if y'all have been paying attention, the city is going nuts. I yeah. mean, the city is really doing some great work and carving out a unique space here in our community. We're thrilled with it. And then, uh, the Ace Hardware down the road yeah. hosted a fundraiser for the North yeah. Gwinnett Co-op, a car show on our church parking lot. Yeah. And man, the city was here. And it's just amazing to see the thousands and thousands and thousands of it's people. It's like the Lord is bringing our a, way. a chunk of the world to Sugar Hill. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty cool that we have that kind of opportunity. I was at 930, I don't know if you know this, but a, uh, at the time of commitment, we had a fifth grader who uh, had a birthday this past week. And he got a pretty good chunk of change for his birthday. And at the end, uh, this fifth grader on his own came and gave every penny. Wow. Uh, and I thought to myself, wow, I want, I want that kid's faith. Yeah. You know, I mean, yep. that's just crazy, isn't it? I mean, the, the people so who have called you this week about stock and all yep. kind of things. So we'll do that a little later in the service. But right now we want to chat about what we believe the heart of everything that happens here. What is that all about? You've heard us say for years, you've heard me say for seven straight years here as a pastor at this church that I believe everything is a matter of the heart. Everything the Lord Jesus teaches, everything starting the book of Genesis through the book of the Revelation, at the end of the day, I believe the divine wants us to know him, but to do so, he wants our heart first and foremost. And you know, as a, as a Bible student, Bobby, one of the things that we know when the, when the scriptures refer to our heart, it's not just this organ. Yeah. You know, it, the heart, the scripture, he, give, he gives us this picture that from the top of our head to the end of our toe, it is the everything that we are, the truest possible yeah. self in Christ we are. Yeah. So the it's heart, a matter of the heart. Throughout scripture has to do with our intellect, has to do with our emotions, our feelings, has to do with our intentions. 
I mean, there's so much captured in yeah. here. And so let me give you a few examples in scripture of how important the heart is. One passage is John 14. And this is a passage that we use a lot when we're encouraging folks at the passing of a loved one, but it speaks to all of us. Yeah. Jesus looks at his disciples and he wants them to have a heart that's at peace, not anxious, not hurting, but this heart that's at peace. And here's what he says in John 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Then he goes on to say what kind of peace this is. He says, I do not give to you as the world gives. In other words, all this stuff that promises so much and leaves us empty and leaves us wanting more. He's like, that's not the kind that I give to you. He says, do not let your, here's the word, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus speaks about the heart. Then when you rewind and you go to the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs written by the wisest man that's ever lived says this in Proverbs 4.23, he says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because that's where everything we do flows from. It doesn't come from our head. It doesn't come from our good intentions that there are those moments that something comes out of us and we're shocked by it. We wish it it comes from our heart. Here's what he says back in Proverbs chapter three and verse five. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So throughout scripture, you see heart. Jesus himself in his most famous message in Matthew chapter six teaches that where our treasure is, that's where you'll find our heart. It has always been about the heart. Yeah, no matter what. You can go to every Bible hero. You can go to every great story in scripture. And at the end of the day, I believe what the Lord is longing for is our heart. Now, I find this interesting in the middle of a time in which we're talking about giving sacrificially, that uh, the Lord doesn't need our money, but he longs for our heart. Because as he's already said in his word, that's that's where our heart will lie, wherever that treasure is. And you can see how these are hand and glove experience because in the eyes of God and in his economy, it is always a matter of the heart demonstrated in some of the great heroes of that time and, and our time. Yeah. Truly. The Bible's full of people that yeah, have led with their heart. I mean, you could just listen over and over and over again. And one in particular that I, I truly love is a- Abram that becomes Abraham. Yeah. And uh, in Genesis 12, God says to Abram, and he says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. You know what Abram did when when the Lord said, go do this? He did it. He went. We don't read anywhere in there where he measured the the good and the bad, you know, the pro and the con, the, you know, the money and the less money and the health and the less health. He He didn't didn't actually know where he's going. Yeah, he has no idea where he's going. The Lord says, just pick up and go. Uh, I want to confess, I don't have that kind of faith. I mean, I like to know where I'm going. You know what I mean? Like me and Jen, sometimes it's like I'm up for going someplace on an adventure, but I want to know where I'm going to eat and where I'm going to sleep. They're critical, right? right? But Abram picks up and and goes. But my favorite thing about Abraham is this. As a result of his obedience, multiple times in scripture, what we read is that Abraham becomes a friend of God. I mean, when you preach my funeral, Bobby, it's... Of all the things that you could say that are both sarcastic and true, what I really want you to say is, now, Chuck, 
was a friend of God. Can we just acknowledge how awkward this moment is right now? <laughs> this is gonna be like in a hundred years maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's a hundred percent chance I'm gonna die, right? All right. Okay, so. Fair enough. Yeah, so it's on you and they all know it. We got witnesses. Well, I, lo I love the phrase, uh, friend of God, right? Yeah. All of us hopefully have close friends. I mean, this morning, I've, man, everywhere I turn, I get to say hello to friends and get big hugs and encouragement and get to share the platform with my friend. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. And so it's just, it's fun to get to do life with friends, but friendships don't happen by accident. In fact, for most of us, we've got less friends now than we mm -hmm. used to because we get busy We, you know, it's all true. this stuff. Friendships uh, without careful nurturing, they, they begin to grow thin and they disappear. Well, it's similar in our relationship with God to be called a friend of God doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't yeah. just happen by showing up and just, well, I respect him. He's the big man. Being a friend of God actually has to do with one, do you have a relationship with him? Yeah. yeah. Right. It starts with that moment of saying, I know I can't do this myself. I need what only you can do. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he's alive today. Putting our faith in him. So that starts this friendship. Yeah. But even as, if you've already done that as believers, that relationship has to be nurtured. Because you fast forward all right. the way to the end of the New Testament, in Revelation chapter three, there's seven different letters written to seven different churches. And in one of those churches, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah. Now think about how crazy that yeah. is. It's a church and he's on the outside of it. He yeah. says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, if you hear my voice, and if you open the door, yeah. I will come in, wow. I will share a meal together with you, as friends. And so I would say to all of us, the greatest thing that could happen is to know God and to have that kind of friendship yeah. through relationship yeah. on the front end of, of salvation Absolutely. and through nurturing that relationship by being with him. Yeah, I think in Abraham's life, his love for God led him to trusting God. His trusting God allowed him to obey God. And in that obedience, he found the blessing of God. Yeah. And I, I don't think that equation has changed in 2018. Uh, when, when we have a heart to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, love others as we are to love ourselves, then what I find is it's so easy to trust God when he says, let's do this. Yeah. I mean, it starts there, right? right? But the one thing we know about love is that even in our marketing world of the United States, everything about love is pictured in a heart. Mm. I mean, we, we all see it as a matter of the heart. Abraham's love for God led him to trust God. His trust led him to obey God. His obedience to God is what allowed the Lord to say and what gave the Lord reason to say, I want to bless you. I want to bless everything that you touch. And I, I want that in, in our church's life. I want it in my life. I want it in your life. Yeah. I, I want us to know it's all a matter of the heart. It just keeps reiterating that the power of relationship. When you don't have a relationship, the request sounds so crazy. Yeah. Whatever that is, when it, whatever that sacrifice is, it sounds so crazy. But the, for Abraham, he walked with God a long, long time. And the longer he walked, the closer to him yeah. he became. So that when God spoke early on, he's like, if you'll bless me, I'll follow you. But by the end of Abraham's life, oh, man. he was willing to do the ultimate sacrifice right. just to see God smile. Yeah. And you see that also in the life of David. David's another person we talk about in the Old Testament as one of these heroes. We celebrate him as a kid. He's just the shepherd boy, but he does unbelievable stuff, right? He, he kills a lion and a bear. He's the kid that kills Goliath with a slingshot. He becomes a king. He has all of these high highs, yeah. and yet he still has the 
low lows. Yeah, he relates probably to us in our life more than most any Bible character I know. Here's a guy that, I mean, we know him to be a man after God's own heart, which is great for the purpose of this yeah. teaching. On the other hand, this is the same guy who looked down on Bathsheba and said, man, okay, I'm, I'm going to go astray. I'm going to murder her husband, and I'm going to have this wicked, weird relationship with her, and my kingdom is going to fail, and yeah. I'm going to fail. And then yeah. all of a sudden, this he comes back to repentance. Yep. He sounds just like us. It's just Absolutely. we mess up and that we come back. Yep. And so after a year and a half or more of running from his sin, this friend named Nathan shows up yeah. and calls him out on it. And what I love is some of the most powerful days in David's life are on the other side of yeah. repentance. Yeah. So much so that when you fast forward to the New Testament in the book of Acts, here's what it says in Acts 13, verse 22. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. So wow. he's not labeled by wow. sin. He's not labeled by his worst days, not yeah. labeled by that dark moment, though he could have been. Yeah, yeah. He says, he is a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He could be forgiven. He could be anointed. He could be used to do something powerful. Here's a guy that's not perfect, but at least he's humble. He's not yeah. perfect, but at least he's reverent. Yeah. Here's a guy that, that, that he makes this huge mistake. And yet, even though he's this great sinner, he was great at repenting mm. and saying, God, would your faithfulness intersect with my sin and help me to experience you for David, wow. for Abraham, for so many people, it really is a matter of the heart. Yeah, when Nathan says to David, well, thou art the man, David, you're the problem. I mean, I guess he had an opportunity to have this, have Nathan killed. But what he did was he, he allowed God to speak through Nathan to his heart. Yeah. And his heart was changed to repentance. And what I, what I find in Nathan and David and in Saul, and I could just keep going through all of these Old Testament heroes, even over into the New Testament and with the folks in this room, is this one belief that when we determined to come to the Lord and repent. Lord, I need you. I can't do it without you. I'm sorry for what I have done. Repentance always gets us back into the right equation, loving God, trusting God, and obeying God. Yeah. It, is, it, it is inevitable. It comes hand in hand. But I, uh, I think one of my favorite stories of David, especially for today, is uh, David, uh, has, is, he's been in a mess. Yeah. And the nation of Israel is in a plague. And it's bad. I mean, we're not talking about a 2080 economic collapse. We're talking about no food to eat. This is bad. Yeah. And it's all because of David's sin. So uh, David is trying to figure out, how do I get out of this mess? Sound familiar? How do I get out of this mess? I mean, he needs a midterm election to get out of this mess somehow. And, uh, and so a dude that's in his cabinet by the name of Gad, Gad says, why don't you go to the Lord and repent and then go over to this guy by the name of Arna, why don't you go to his threshing floor and buy that property? Now, a threshing floor might be a, a, as big as this room, except round usually, and you would put oxen uh, in there and they would turn a wheel to keep them going, but their hoofs would stomple over the wheat that you had gathered and it would separate the good from the bad. That's what a threshing floor was. In the scriptures, a, a threshing floor is always a picture of judgment which is interesting because this is what David's come to buy yeah. is a place of judgment. Separate what's of God from what's <laughs> yeah. of, not of and God. So, and so Arna, who owns the property, sees David and the entourage coming. Yeah. And of course he goes to him and David says, I want to buy your property. And Arna, I mean, really, he, he says, 
I'll just give it to you, king. You can have it. But listen to what 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24 has to say about David's reply. When Arna says, here, I want to give it to you, this is what David says. No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. You see, the matter of David's heart was this. The Lord has brought me through so many things and I have failed him in so many ways and he's never left me that this place in which we're going to purchase needs to cost me something because if it costs me something, the Lord can use me in some way. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of like last week we were talking about, you know, if it, if it costs you nothing, that ministry may not do much. Yeah. But if it costs you everything, then it, it is clearly great ministry. And I don't know how God's economy does all that. I really don't. But I do know this, that David was blessed and immediately in the scripture, the plague on that people were over. Yeah. Because he said, I want to give something that costs me something. Yeah, wow. That that phrase, cost me something, has been really hitting my heart. You said it to our staff team the last couple weeks. And I know Thursday night you said it to the couple hundred leaders that serve in different capacities in our church. You said if the way you said it then was, if it doesn't cost you something, it probably doesn't count for much. Right. And you see that in scripture. I heard another leader say this last week that if you're a leader and you're not hurting, you're probably not leading well because for some reason in the economy of it, it costs something. And if it doesn't cost, we don't pay attention to it. If it doesn't cost us something, we're not all in. And so one of the things that stood out through this whole process that you've also said is that it's not about the amount of your gift. It's not equal gifts. Not everybody has an equal amount in their bank account. It's not about equal gifts, but it is about equal sacrifice. And so far we've seen in David and Abraham, these big moments. But what I also love in scripture, there are these smaller moments that we would be tempted to overlook. One of those is in the New Testament where Jesus talks about the widow that brought all that she had. Do you remember this story? A lot of times we call it the widow's might. It's found in Mark chapter 12. If you don't know the background of it, Jesus is basically sitting with his disciples near the temple treasury. So he sees people bringing money and there's a lot of people bringing a lot of money and the disciples are sort of captured by that. But then Jesus calls out and points out there's this little lady who brings just two coins, right? Just two coins. The ESV translation renders it this way. It says two small copper coins, which make about a penny. Yeah. The King James translation calls them mite. Whatever translation you read, what it matters is it's the smallest amount you could bring, mm-hmm. smallest coins you could have. She brought that and listen yeah. to what Jesus says. When she puts those coins in the box, Jesus calls his disciples like, guys, 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 pull in real close. This is the teaching moment. He says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow, notice the adjective, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, I just imagine there were some pretty analytical people amongst the disciples. There's probably some number crunchers in the crowd. I mean, Judas was ready to pull out his little calculator and be like, hold on, hold on, wait a second. You're telling me that she put in more. No, 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 she put in two little mites. And Jesus says, no, she put in more. Matthew, the tax collector is probably trying to run the numbers as well. And here's what Jesus says in his economy. He says, those others, they all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she has to live on. 
Yeah, when I think of this scene, Bobby, imagine, uh, folks, at the temple, the boxes of the receptacles that you would collect these offerings with most often were bronze, and they they were probably like uh, three feet by three feet, possibly round. And so when you brought a sizable offering, uh, what was the norm is to make sure when you dropped it in, it made the loudest amount of noise. You know, it's like if you brought an offering to the Lord today and it was your motorcycle, you would drive it and I've seen your your bike and it will make a lot of noise. And people are like, ooh. And the disciples were there. It's like, ooh. And then Jesus says, let me give you something that's more important than that. Ooh, look at that poor widow and look at what she's going to do. Let me give you three quick points that I think are relevant to how we relate to these heroes and how it relates to Imagine Zero. Number one, I I want you to recognize that God sees what we overlook. At no point does God uh, take a look at at that big gift and go, wow. But he saw the heart of this woman and he said enough to bring all those disciples. Guys, whatever you just saw that wowed you, look at this. Now, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Right. But now, secondly, that God's evaluation is different from man's. We value things based on will people be pleased or proud of what we do? And God sees us as, have you surrendered your heart completely to me? His evaluation is different. And and the value add that the Lord has for our heart is this. When you trust me with everything you have, you will be blessed as a result of giving all you have. Now, I believe that's far bigger than money. I believe that is far bigger than money. And quite frankly, what I would rather know in your heart today is that you leave here knowing God more so than knowing that you gave, but that you know God, because I do believe when you know God, you'll trust God. When you trust God, you'll obey God. When you obey God, you'll receive the blessing of God. So third, this last point, I believe God commends giving in faith. When we bring something that, that, that is hurtful to us, something that costs us something, I believe the Lord blesses that. I think the entire story of this widow isn't about the money. It, it, is, it is about the fact that she gave till it hurt. Yeah. Had a fellow this week say, Chuck, I, we can't even do $5 a week. Yeah. And so I said, okay, can you do four? Yeah. And he just looked at me like I had five heads. And I, I said, yeah, but get to whatever that number is, but don't miss the blessing of giving. I mean, the, the, Lord's, the Lord's not waiting on you to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, give away a house. What the Lord is wanting, just do what you can and trust him for the peace you, you believe you can't. But step in faith, I believe he rewards that. The truth is, we, it's all a matter of our heart, no matter what it is. Yeah. That's why communion is such a big deal today. Yeah. The Lord's Supper, it's a little later, you'll, you'll help us understand how do, we bring our, how do we bring our sacrificial commitment of these offerings for three years and how do we return from the Lord's table? Yeah. So about a, I don't know, a month and a half ago, Bobby, I started listening to this uh, song and I cannot get it out of my head. Yeah. And it's called A Rebel Heart. And uh, so about a week or so ago, I asked Leanne if she would learn the song for me and sing for us today. And I, and I did it because I thought to myself, this is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard because it pictures perfectly what we're trying to talk about, the heart. I think all of us, when you hear old preachers like me talk about how we were born with a, a nature to sin, what we're saying is we're born with a heart that's rebellious that we don't like to surrender everything. We like to hang on to something which causes our rebel heart to lead away from the Lord. We are prone to wander and that's a rebel heart. 
And so when I heard these lyrics, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to end our teaching time today in this? And I want to ask you, uh, would you take that commitment card uh, that was in your seat? You've received several of these, I'm sure, over the last few weeks. But while Leanne sings, would you be kind enough to fill that commitment card out? And, you know, I, I want to say this one more time. If, if you're here and this just isn't your kind of thing and you don't like it when the church does this kind of stuff and you, uh, you just don't want to participate, could I, I just want to lovingly say to you, don't give. It's okay. Don't give. Uh, I would love to know that every card, Bobby, came from a joyful giver. Yeah. From a, from a Christ follower that would say, I want to be a part in my season. Yeah. Let's be done with this debt so this money is spent on reaching people and caring for people and loving kiddos in our community yeah. and loving single moms. I want, I want that lady in that story. I want her to knock on our door and know that we, we're yeah. here for her. So the lyrics of this song are pretty powerful, and I'm going to ask you to do something that's abnormal around here. I want you to just let Leanne sing. And I'd like for you to let this be your prayer. Use this time to put your card together and you and your spouse, you and your family, you alone, whatever it is that's here. And when she's done, Pastor Bobby's going to give us some direction on how we do this, and then we'll be done. But uh, Lee, thanks for doing this. Man, I blubbered through the whole song last hour. I'm going to try not to. Go ahead. Let's sing. Y'all listen to this.
This really is a time of worship. And I love that idea of this rebel heart returning to him. And so you noticed on your way in today, this room obviously looks different than it normally does. And that's on purpose, that's intentional. Um, Across the front here, we have what we refer to as the Lord's table. It's an opportunity for us to have a season of reflection, a season of renewal even a season of repentance, an opportunity for us to think about and to reflect on what Jesus did. If you're new to this uh, or how we do it around here, uh, each of these trays across the front are exactly the same, except there's some gluten-free right over there, but uh, there's a stack of two cups and in the bottom cup, there's a little wafer that represents the body of Christ. And then the top cup is the juice that represents the blood, they're they're both just symbols. They're symbols that point to what Jesus did. And so on this day, we wanna invite every single person that's trusted Jesus as their Lord to participate in this as an opportunity to reflect on what Jesus did, to renew that emphasis on him. And if you've never trusted him, hands down the best thing that could happen today would be to put your trust in him. As Chuck's been alluding to all morning long that it's about the heart and it comes to that moment of saying, Jesus, I can't, but I know that you can. Jesus, I know I can't fix this myself. I know that you died on the cross for my sins. I know you're alive today. Would you forgive me of my sins and save me? You can do that even now in your head and your heart and just ask him. And so this is a powerful moment of reflection at the Lord's table. So we'll invite every single person that's trusted Jesus to be part of that. But also as Chuck already instructed us to do, uh, many of you have already filled out your cards. You've, you've, you've wrestled with what is it God would have me to do with Imagine Zero. And again, our, our prayer is that we would be able to, as a church body, come together and commit to over two and a half million dollars over three years above and beyond what we normally give as a way to go directly to get to zero debt as quickly as possible so that we can kick into the more part, more ministry, more mission, more moving things forward. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to actually bring this card and to place it at the altar this morning. You'll notice across the front here, there are several baskets and these baskets are a place to bring these cards very prayerfully, very worshipfully, to, to place them in the basket as an offering to say, as best as I know how, this is what I feel that God's called me to do, to be part of it. If it's nothing, man, that's, that's, we want you to be obedient to what God wants you to do. If it's sacrifice, we want you to be obedient to what God has asked you to do. And so we'll invite you in just a moment to bring these, to place these in the basket. Some people ask, well, when do I start? And in fact, a lot of folks this week have actually started giving. And so they've brought as part of these baskets, their first gift as part of this to go towards eliminating debt. And so if you came prepared to do that, or if you want to do that, you're certainly welcome to do that in the basket or even through the app, you are totally welcome to do that. But what I want to do is I want to pray for us. Then after I finish praying, I'm going to invite us to stand. And when we stand, I'm going to invite you to come to one of these tables near you and to pick up a stack of those cups and to bring them back to your seat. 
and hold on to them for a moment so that we can give you some instruction. Then also, if you have your card ready, I'm gonna invite you to bring that card and to prayerfully leave it in one of these baskets this morning. And then honestly, we're gonna be fairly quiet about it. We're gonna wait about two weeks until Sunday morning, November the 18th. We'll give folks that weren't able to be here in person this morning a chance to be part of this. And then on the 18th, when we come back together to worship, we'll be able to celebrate whatever it is we took a step. I have no idea, you'll notice in these baskets, there's a lot of cards already. I have no idea what those mean, but what I do know is it means sacrifice and people are sacrificing. So let's pray together. And then after we pray, I'll invite you to stand and to bring your cards to pick up the elements of the Lord's table. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the reminder that you see beyond what we see. You see our hearts. And Father, if there's anybody that doesn't know you today, I pray that they'd put their heart, their trust in you. And Father, for those that do know you, I pray that this would be an opportunity for their faith to be stretched and their faith to grow. As we bring our cards, as we as we observe the Lord's table, I pray that this would be a worshipful moment, a spiritual mile marker in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All across the room, I invite you to begin to come very prayerfully, very reverently. And once you have, if you'll return to your seat very quietly, and we'll give you some instructions as we observe the Lord's Supper together as a church family.
hold these cups. It's such a powerful picture. That bottom cup representing the body of Christ, that, that wafer representing the body that was broken, and that juice that represents the blood that was shed. As you sit there holding these cups, I invite you to just bow your heads for a moment and to use the moments like this to remember what Jesus did. That he paid the ultimate price that he did not owe. To reflect on what does it mean to have our sins forgiven, to reflect on what is that like to put our full trust in him. And to use it as a moment of renewal. One of my pastors growing up used to say his encouragement was to keep a short sin list. This idea that over time, if we're not careful, unconfessed sins build up and like a scab or like a callus, it begins to harden our hearts where when we go so long without talking to our Heavenly Father, it's harder to hear His voice. It's harder to sense His leadership. It's hard to, it's hard to know Him so in moments like this, it's so appropriate just to do a heart scan, to say, God, is there anything I need to confess today? God, is there any pride or jealousy or lust or greed or anger? Or uh, is there any God? And just begin to say, God, is there anything I need to come clean on today? God, I confess. I ask you to restore me. I ask you to renew my walk with you. And the Lord took the bread and he did two things that's necessary in our life as well. He, he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this bread is a picture of my broken body that I'm going to offer up for the sins of the world. Every man, every woman, every sin. And he blessed it. Lord, we praise you that this little cracker is a remembrance in our life of your ultimate sacrifice to give your life to us that we might have life. And so we praise you for that great sacrifice that gives us so much more than heaven, but peace and a heart that can chase after you. Call us back to you as we remember this and we eat this bread in the name of Jesus. And then he took the fruit of the vine. And I'm not sure what type of cup he used, but it, he was able to picture for those disciples that the wine that he held, that it was a picture. It was a picture of his shed blood. And you know, the scriptures are abundantly clear that there is no forgiveness apart from the shedding of blood. You know, in the Old Testament, we, it was animals. and Then the New Testament came and Jesus said, the perfect lamb of God came and said, I'm the final sacrifice. I will, I will lay down my life on that cross and my body will be broken and my blood, which is pictured in this juice, in this wine. My blood is pictured here so that for every time you drink this, you will remember me. This is why the Lord's Supper communion is an ordinance of the church so that we never stop remembering 
what we do, how we do it, is always a matter of the heart. And our heart belongs to the one we remember. I want to take just a minute before we get ready to go. We've got some folks over here that are uh, headed to Kenya in a few days to work with our partners, Care for AIDS. And um, I want to pray for these folks. And uh, well, that's, uh, that's one of those trips where uh, when, when, they're, when they're out of touch, they're out of touch. And um, so, Doc, you're in charge of taking care of everybody. And Ethan, you're on your own, bro. But let's pray for these folks before they head out. Lord, thank you for the commitment and the time and the money these folks have invested to go serve folks in Africa for you. Bring them back with an even greater heart. Bring them back safely. Keep them and guard them. Place a hedge of protection around them and let this trip be a time in which they know God even more. They know you, they walk with you, and they trust you more than ever in this step of obedience. And so bless my friends as they travel. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. And in that name, let that name and let him go before you and make a way and make your crooked path straight because that's what he does. Let him go within you and bring you peace and joy, fulfillment and contentment because he is always good and you are always loved. And in the days this week where the world is just beating you up, let him come behind you and pick you up and not walk you around the problem, but walk right through the middle of it so that when he sets you down on your two feet, victoriously, he can wipe away your tears and kiss you on the forehead and wrap his arms around you and you can hear Waterford crystal clear. My child, I love you. God bless you. Thank you and go in peace.